You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. Once again, I am your host, Ben Wolf. We're going to learn from our guest today how to address and solve major issues uh, like providing or uh, changing the equity situation between partners, uh, which and 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 how and what skill really makes all the difference between uh, long-term success and failure for small and mid-sized businesses who are trying to scale. Uh, with that, I would remind everybody to subscribe, leave a review, and uh, by doing so, obviously, you make the content here and the information that we are sharing more accessible to yourself in the future, as well as with all the fancy algorithms on these platforms, more accessible to others as well. And uh, with that, I do want to get into introducing our guest today. Very excited uh, to, to, to have him. I read, read his book, given it a lot of thought, and it's, it's really a classic in the entrepreneurial space. Uh, so our guest today is the Dean of the Sy Sims School of Business at Yeshiva University. Uh, he was previously a professor at Harvard Business School for 13 years and a professor at the University of Southern California. He holds a PhD and an MBA from Harvard Business School in leadership and macroeconomics. He's the author of The Founder's Dilemmas, Anticipating and Avoiding the Pitfalls that Can Sink a Startup. And I'm going to uh, put a link to on Amazon where you can get that book in the description and in the social media posts. Uh, he's also the author of Life is a Startup, What Founders Can Teach Us About Making Choices and Managing Change from just two years ago. And you could also find out more about our guest by searching for his name in the, in the search box at yu.edu, that's Yeshiva University, yu.edu. And with that, I give you Dr. Noam Wasserman. Welcome, Dr. Wasserman. Hey, thank you so much, Ben. Thank you for reaching out. No problem. And, uh, you know, it is an honor for me to have you on the show. Like I said, I read, uh, uh, I read the book and I mean, it's a classic and it's, you know, I definitely felt more like reading one of the Jim Collins books than a lot of other business books, uh, you know, because of the, obviously the academic background and the data that you're bringing to bear. Um, and, you know, I guess that one theme that I saw in in that book, and obviously you've written and done a lot of scholarship since then as well, but one theme that I saw there, uh, and that I think that I was hoping we could focus on today, is, is, this, is this theme that I guess obviously came out of a lot of your data and research that dealing with hard stuff, like the ability, the skill of how to deal with hard stuff really makes the difference between success and failure. I guess I was hoping that we could kind of focus the conversation around that theme. Um, and to get into specifics, uh, I just wanted to start with talking about uh, what you found, especially now with like COVID and lockdown and reopening and ever-changing rules and regulations and statuses constantly changing and sometimes changing back. Um, what actionable lessons that you've seen that, uh, that, that you take away from what's going on in business that really business owners, entrepreneurs should be taking away from what's going on? Uh, so lots of things, very big topic. Yeah, uh, we can go and see in some ways a more extreme version of what is the typical set of founding challenges that we might be going and facing. Um, one of the things that I've been focusing on for the last few years is very much around entrepreneurial mindset, not just that the key decisions and the, and the path, what are the things you have to go and decide and then which are the bad ones, which are the good ones, but far more even beyond for people who have never thought about founding, people who will never have founder on their business card, what are the ways in which they can take the entrepreneurial mindset and apply it to lots of walks of life? And that's something that right now 
I think that mindset is a key thing for a lot of people to be going and applying, whether they are in a startup or they're not. Um, in terms of the entrepreneurial mindset, a lot of times we go and what we aspire to is that when we hit a bump in the road, when we go and uh, hit a problem that we didn't anticipate, that we can still go and persist. That the usual system, the usual person, the usual challenge that we face, when we hit a bump in the road, it's fragile. It comes crashing down. And what we instead try to go, and we celebrate it within entrepreneurship, the persistence of the founder, um, we try to go and have a bump in the road be that we can continue without having things come crashing down for us. In some ways right now with COVID, the real test for us is going even beyond that, going to another step beyond it that we can go and see how we can get stronger possibly from those bumps in the road. Uh, this is something that I saw echoes of in a lot of the things that I've been learning for decades now when it comes to the Judaic side of the things that I go and learn. But there's also a lot of modern thinking around entrepreneurship that has echoes, reinvention, if you will, of some of those things. So just to go back a couple of millennia, we can go and see in the Talmud where it talks about that mindset. Um, in the Talmud, they call it Gamzulatova. They call it, this is also going to be for the best, where when you hit a bump mm -hmm. in the road, how can you go and seize the day? How can you go and take that and be able to go and have it become something that will make you stronger? So for instance, one way that one of my students went and captured that, there's a paper back seven or eight years ago that I saw a line in this paper and just stared at it for about 10 minutes and then printed it out and put it up on my wall. And it's become in some ways a way that it converts the ancient into the current. Um, that line was that it's really easy to get stuck in a rut, especially if you're good at what you do. And that student was talking about when she was going and was on autopilot, she was going down a path and it took a shock from the outside that mm. at first set her reeling that essentially it was like a real shock to the system. It looked like a negative of development that went and had her go and rethink that being on autopilot, had her go and actually think about a different path where there might be a more rewarding way to go rather than just going and continuing on autopilot uh, to go and take a look, uh, put up the periscope, look across the landscape and realize that there's a more rewarding way in life that I should be going and approaching things. So it sparked her going back to school. It's what sparked her heading into a very different path that she might want to go through. And in some ways, it very much embodied to me the Gamzla Toba. This is also going to be for the best. Because when we go and have that externality that went and uh, shocked us out of what we were doing, if we go and just recoil from it, but we don't turn it into something productive, then it's not going to be a way in which we're going and thinking in a different way, thinking about a different path, thinking about a different type of impact that we can go and make it. Uh, in modern terms, uh, there's an author, people have read The Black Swan. Um, they're very, very, very much know that concept, that book. We are facing right now a black swan in terms of like a very rare occurrence that is going mm -hmm. and affecting the world. But it's actually his follow-up book, Talib's follow-up book to that, that I find actually captures this ancient concept in a really nice way. Uh, that book was called Anti-Fragile. And we already talked a little bit about how the fragile system comes crashing down. The persistence, the neutral system can continue. Anti-fragile is a system that gets stronger from the bumps in the road. It has a way in which it's been designed to actually get stronger from it. Uh, we can go and see in a lot of ways, very topical right now, about our bodies and how we get stronger from what should be a setback. Um, one thing that we were going and uh, seeing even before COVID was when you go and work out, how the human body was designed to be able to get stronger from ripping our muscles. When we go and work out, we are going and tearing our muscles. Why would we go and do that? Right. Because it was designed to be anti-fragile, to get stronger from it. 
when we go and take a vaccine, what all of us are hoping is on the is around the corner right now. Um, but when we go and see what we are going and doing when we inject ourselves with a vaccine, we are going and assaulting our immune system. We are putting disease into it. Why are we doing that? Right. Because God created our bodies to be anti-fragile when it comes to the immune system. We have to go and get stronger from it. And so if we can go and take the entrepreneurial mindset of seeing that shock, how can we go and get stronger from it? How can we go and be able to see a, a new way of doing things, a new path for ourselves, some maybe self-awareness that we develop better because of this? If we can go and take these last three months and be able to go and get stronger from it, that's where entrepreneurially we'll be able to go and bring the ancient Gamzula Tova approach to being able to go and do that since then. And so I've talked to a whole bunch of founders and a bunch of other people within university. We've also experienced a bit of this. How do we go and get stronger from these setbacks and a bunch of new initiatives we put in place that wouldn't exist if not for the fact that we had to think differently about this summer, about the ways in which we're going and educating the students, other things like that. And there's a bunch of founders who have gotten pivoted in a similar way to go and see very much a different way to go and do some things. Um, you got the most prominent of those was Zoom, being able to go and see how they were going from you know corporate conferencing into being able to go and do education uh, mm. and being able to do like uh, instituting several new features, uh, going and battening down the hatches when it came to security stuff, other things along those lines. They had a bit of a pivot in terms of the way that they went and. Uh, took a core product, but tuned it for a new application um, that wasn't a very big part of their application before. Um, there's a founder I was on the line with today that's doing AI, and they're finding all sorts of new verticals in which they are needing to go and have AI be applied. They just signed their biggest contract in May with a new client to be able to go and head into a brand new vertical that mm. wouldn't have existed if not for COVID. And so right. there are all, all these ways in which we have to go and step back. Yes, take the natural recoil that we go and have, but then turn it into added energy, turn it into new reflection that we can have about a new way that we can go and be thinking about the old ways that we were doing things. All right. Well, I mean, you give that analogy of, of the body being anti-fragile. Uh, you know, I've, I was not familiar with that term, but, you know, the body being anti-fragile. But how do you, how do you, you, you mentioned your business having an anti-fragile system so that it's, you know, it gets stronger from the bumps in the road. What does that mean? To, like, what does that mean to have an anti-fragile system in a business? How do you, how do you make that? What does that mean? So in some ways, it requires a little bit of a cultural change at the level of the business. Uh, but being able to go, a lot of businesses are on autopilot instead of having a t continuous improvement approach. Mm -hmm. Instead, we should go and be using times like this to go and say, what are the things that we're doing that are succeeding? Can we go and build them some feedback loops? Be able to go and tune into those. But then what are the feedback loops telling us about what's not going so well and be able to go and see how do we take what we're doing right now and improve it? How do we go and do the equivalent of what I usually think of as start, stop, keep analyses? What are things that are going well that we should keep doing? What are the mm. things that we're not doing right now that we should start doing? And what are the painful things that are going on that we should stop doing? And that's a mindset shift that has to go on within businesses where you can go and use that to go and tune into where we go and have some things that should continue, but a lot of other things that if we actively go and search out the ways that start and stop might be applied to them, then we can go and find new ways that we can go and be a lot more fine-tuned for the next stage and then build that into our ethos, build that into our psyche about now that we took our, our best cut at a pivot, what is the way that we can keep tuning into, continuing to go through it? In a lot of ways, this is a similar kind of thing, lean startup. Lean startup is saying, go and find your biggest uncertainties Go and set up your biggest tests and then very actively act on that feedback. Going and building in that kind of a mindset into every part of our business operations of diagnosing what's working and what isn't 
what isn't being done and should be started. Um, that's something that very much as businesses, we should be building into our culture is much more than when we were on autopilot before. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's me. It's about being more intentional about, you know, like you said, what, what should we stop? What should we start? What should we keep? Um, and being much more intentional about that. I mean, people on this show have heard me talk about the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, uh, obviously any company that is using that to, to manage themselves is going every quarter and just kind of getting outside the business, not just going, 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 but, you know, stepping outside the business every quarter for a full day off site and working on, working on looking back at the previous quarter, what worked, what didn't work, setting, you know, setting, looking at the long-term goals again, and then, you know, resetting course every single quarter for where you want to be going every week, looking at data and measurables, whether things are on track or off track and immediately getting, getting into it. Yeah. And going even SWOT more analysis. Well, yeah. Going even more extreme than that, going and inviting in maybe some audiences that you usually wouldn't be going and including within like that what? kind of a cycle. So for instance, like uh, at Yeshiva University uh, back in the fall, we started doing this even before COVID, but it became even more critical when, we, when COVID had hit. We started mm -hmm. building in what we call mid-semester feedback. Go and ask the students, the what students. is going well in the class? Find at least one thing that can go and be improved that then the faculty are able to go and act on during the second half of the semester. And that goes and builds in a new kind of input, a new kind of way that you can go and be able mm -hmm. to see that the, the continuous improvement cycle can be in the middle of a semester rather than waiting for the end of the semester, asking the students for feedback. And the students will go and benefit from it at that point. The future generations will, but not those students. It also right. doesn't give the faculty, like the, they're gonna be teaching that course again a year later. No, let's go and have it be the next day after the faculty get feedback that they can go and act on it. Figure mm -hmm. out which of your other outside parties might not be part of your process yet to be able to go and be able to do that quarterly planning you were just talking about. And we're having some pointed involvement of them might be able to go and accelerate your learning also. Right. I appreciate that. I mean, I really would like to go into this more too, but I, we wouldn't get to the other stuff I was hoping to cover, you know, which is, you know, which is, which is one thing is from, I know it's from 10 years ago, this, the, the founder's dilemmas book. I, I, you know, I learned a lot. He analyzed a lot of data. Um, if you had to like boil it down, I mean, you kind of previewed this a minute ago, but if you had to kind of boil it down, what are, what are a couple of the main, uh, I guess the main sticking points or decision points that make the, make the biggest difference that you've found between businesses that, you know, ultimately make it and scale and just succeed and whatever that means and those that don't, uh, what are, you know, I guess, what are some of the, the biggest themes or differentiators between them? Right? Sure, so pick the, one or two, obviously it's huge and there's a hundred yeah. things you could say, but <laughs> Pick one or two. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's go and boil the ocean in the next 15 minutes. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so the overarching one is what the one that motivated me to even become, uh, to focus on this and become an academic in some ways. Um, that to me was a surprise. I remember when I was a founder, very naturally that you would go and be focusing on two major things. You'd be going and focusing on the product or the service that you were going and developing. Mm -hmm. And you'd be worrying about the resources. How am I going to be able to go and get the financial resources or other things like that that I need to mm -hmm. be able to go and bring that product or service to life and then be able to go and build an organization around it? I ran into some research that was published now more than 30 years ago that went and highlighted inadvertently and in a very backhanded way, like in a very small way, but it was fundamental to me, how that's missing a big piece of what, what separates the success from failure that you were just talking about. That with all of our attention that we put on product and finance, when you take a look at what separates the companies that are able to go and realize their potential versus the ones that fail, the biggest difference is actually the people issues. 
It's not product, it's not finance. It is the team dynamics, it is the tensions or frictions between the founders themselves or between them and the other people who come and come on board. 65% of the reasons for failure are actually the things that we as founders don't focus on enough, are the things that are gonna be the interpersonal or the intrapersonal. Um, and that that's what the biggest thing is that I've found in terms of what is what I've focused on for the last 20 years of mapping out what are the early ways that founders go and cause people problems for themselves by who they're going to involve in the venture, how they're going to go and involve them. Because those are the things that if we can go and reduce that 65% slice of the pie, then we're going to be able to go and really move the needle on the success or failure of our founders. Yeah. Uh, let's go and take the biggest slice of the pie and make even a small, inc uh, a small uh, dent in that. And we can have a tremendous amount compared to if we take a small piece of the pie and go and make even a big thing in that. So that's where it's the biggest part of it, of appreciating the people side, appreciating the interpersonal and the intrapersonal as the critical things that go and separate that. And then within that, what that leads to is understanding ourselves, our biases, the ways in which we go and mismake those people decisions when it comes to, for instance, we go and deny the pitfalls. We got into a bunch of the things around the fragile ways that we go and set things up for ourselves. If we go and deny that we're gonna hit a bump in the road, then it's gonna be even more devastating when we go and hit it because we haven't planned around having some kind of way that we're gonna be able to act on it when we go and hit that bump in the road. So one, one people issue you're saying is over, being overly optimistic and not, not taking into account the obstacles that will inevitably get in our way. Exactly, and the problem is that the founder's psyche is to go and tell ourselves, I'm thinking conservatively, I'm going and uh, not being over-optimistic, and yet we go on a recurring basis, passion gets us, overconfidence gets us, and it goes and has us discount all the ways in which things might go wrong. We go and focus on the when we conquer the world, rather than going and looking at, yeah, let's go and aspire to that. Let's also go and look at what are the things that recurringly could bring the, the best of the ideas down, and instead, let's go and plan around those a little bit while also reaching for the stars. What, so, what are the kind of what kind, what are the kind of intra in, in, interpersonal issues? That might be more intrapersonal, but what about more interpersonal so issues? Are, one, are the biggest are the biggest culprits, I guess, of the yeah. the downfall, or at least eventually. I'm sure sometimes it's a slowdown, but uh huh. So the um, in terms of the interpersonal part of it, one of them is the very natural human inclination that almost all of us have to go and avoid difficult discussions. Mm. If it is a conf conflict ridden thing that we are going to have to go and deal with. Let's go and push it off. Let's go and try to hope that the little elephant in the room isn't going to grow into the big elephant in the room because right. we're not going and discussing it. And those are the things that go and set us up for the worst of the things to happen at the worst times because we could have headed it off at the past. And instead, we've waited right. until it's going to be trampling everything else. And so on the interpersonal, it's that avoidance of tension, the avoidance of conflict that leads to our not doing the difficult conversations that we need to. All right. Well, what what are some of the I you know there's different angles to approach this, but like what are some of the what are some of the most common elephants? So the the most common that happened to map to what my research showed um, were the biggest things that bring those founding teams down when it comes to the interpersonal. Call those the three R's. Now okay. the first of the R's is the relationships that you have. Are you going in founding with your best friend? Are you going in, which happens to be founding with friends and family is the most common of the ways that founding teams come together. And mm -hmm. so are you gonna go and avoid the conversation about how is our relationship, the prior relationship, going to lead mm -hmm. us to have all sorts of ways when the business and the personal is gonna come into conflict with each other, how it's gonna harm our being able to go and do what's best for the business 
And in the same way, be able to go and end up with losing both the business and the personal. So the first of the R's is the relationships one. Mm -hmm. Second one is roles and decision-making. How are we going to be able to go and decide who is doing what roles within the venture? Uh, Oftentimes you have everyone wanting to be in charge. You have all sorts of ways in which you're going to also sit up with the conflict avoidance part of it, that we're going to make decisions by consensus together. One founder, one vote. Everyone has to be on board with it or we don't go forward with it. That's a recipe for tensions also within the venture. Um, And so there's all sorts of ways in which, A, figuring out the right titles and especially when you have the, so let's get into a drip before we get to the third of the R's, which is I think the one that you want to go most deeply into. Um, There's also a relationship between those first two R's. You go and have the best friend that you found with, what's going to be most likely in terms of how you go and decide to make decisions. We're going to be equals. We're going to be the equivalent of right, egalitarian. I think it was a term you used in the, uh, in the book. Exactly. And right. that is a recipe for all sorts of ways in which you're going to have destructive ways that you are going to be one, one on all decisions that you want to make. Uh, even if you disagree on 1% of decisions, you're constantly making decisions together. You're going to have all sorts of tensions that if you're not going and setting up, especially if you're a two founder team, how are you going to go and break that one, one tie on a critical thing that comes up Almost right. every day, you're going to have that kind of a divergence with it. Are you going to be able to go and discuss with your best friend who you are not going to be able to go and deal with very tense business decisions together with, how you're not going to be able to go and do a lot more of a setting up for success when it comes to the decisions or to the roles and decision making and things like that. Right. And so if, that- if, if, if one of them, you know, if the role that to the extent that you have a role, if the role that he has or she has or you have, you're not really right for or you discover later on that you're not really right for. And because of that relationship, and if you didn't actually proactively address how this stuff would be decided later on, then like how do you how do you tell your best friend or your wife if you go into business or your husband, like, hey, you know, you're really good at this, but you're really not good at that. So we need to move you out of that and into something else. Exactly. Yeah. And you're uh, getting into another one of the elements of when you're going and founding with the people that are close to you socially, a lot of things that go and attract us to people socially are the similarities that we have with them. A lot of times it's going to be the backgrounds that we're bringing might even be the schools you went to together, the Mm -hmm. ways in which you view the world. It's a lot more common that you have, for instance, two techies coming together to found together, two business people coming together to found together. And then when you go and see, because we have, oh, this compatibility, this thing that makes us comfortable, we're we're birds of a feather flocking together. Mm -hmm. Well, that also means that when it comes to the roles, you're both going to be wanting, if you're two techies, to be going and making this shot, right, calling the CTO a shot or whatever, yeah. And in academia, we call that homophily. Homophily tends to be great when you're looking at who you're going to bring together socially, but it happens to be the death knell for founding teams. Mm-hmm. When you have two techies and no business person, or vice versa, right. you're stepping so on each two other. Two people that are good at sales, but nobody knows technology. <laughs> like, exactly. And right. because of that, your homophily is going to lead to more tension rather than lower tension because you're both wanting to go and make those decisions. And it's also going to leave gaping holes in your team. When you're looking at the checklist of all the things we have to go and do well, you're going to have double check boxes when it comes to what the both of you do well. And you're going to have a big unchecked box when it comes to the the missing hole. And you're going to be going and doing it, thinking that what could be better than doing it with someone I'm already compatible with. The problem is the compatibility leads to a whole bunch of risks being heightened rather than reducing tensions within the team. And before we get to the third R, what's, a, what's, a, what's the most common place to find someone who will be compatible or not just compatible, but complementary? So this is, when you're talking about complementary, I assume you mean complementarily different. 
yeah, they're, right. they're that's what I mean. Not role. not just compatible, but 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 complementary. That you know, someone who will be a, at least at least statistically more commonly, you know, better to work with, more yeah, effective so, to work with, I should say. No, so this is where you're getting into the art of creating a founding team because you need to be similar in the right ways and different in the right ways. And so similarity, I think, is a little bit what you were talking about with the complementarity. That working style. And maybe even when it comes to risk propensity and values and things like that, they want to be relatively speaking on the same page, even though there is a little bit of a yin and yang, a tug and a pull that you're going to have when it comes to those things. Mm -hmm. But you want to be different when it comes to skills, when it comes to uh, the backgrounds you're bringing to it. And that's a lot of the challenge of being able to go and have those things coming together. In terms of being able to go and find that, a lot of the best ways to be able to go and do that is to have had some kind of substantive way that you've been working on some project with this person. Um, whether it's that you're going and finding a coworker from a different division of what you were going and working in before, but where you had a project together where you were bringing the sales side to it and then bring the technical side to it, mm -hmm. being able to go and find ways that you've been able to go and date each other to be able to go All and right. see our styles are similar enough, even though our backgrounds are different enough, um, being able to go and not get married right from the beginning, but go and take a small piece of being able to work together substantively and being able to go and do that together, even if it's not from prior work life together, when you have a potentially a co-founder that you found, go and find some projects, a small project that'll be a substantive benefit to the venture. Go and have the other person appreciate why they have to go and date you in addition to your dating them. You really want to get to know each other before you go and commit to quitting your day jobs and being able to go and found this together. Let's go and work together on a small project first. At the end of it, let's go and evaluate whether we should go and continue. Let's go and set an endpoint to it. And we should go and have the default be that we're not going to go and continue. And that way you have an easier conversation of being mm. able to go and say, yeah, it was great to go and do this project, but I think that there's enough flaws in what we were going and doing. It also sets up a little bit of the continuous improvement mindset. Let's go and have feedback on each other as teammates, be able to go and give each other feedback on start, stop, keep. If we're going to be going forward right. as founders, we've gone and surfaced what are the biggest challenges and we've gone and hopefully found solutions to it. Um, and in this way, you're able to go and build it into the fabric. Uh, you're building, building the difficult conversation muscles together um, as you're going into it. Either you gain a lot of information that's valuable from someone you could have worked together with um, that you mm -hmm. wouldn't have had otherwise, but now you're seeing I should go and find someone else. Or you've gone and jump-started this great duo that is going to be able to go and have a very easier way to go and have these difficult conversations together once you go and found together. So uh, those are some of the best ways to be able to go and get mm -hmm. past that, that hurdle. Okay, oh, and that's then, great. Uh, yeah, the, the, the third the R, R maybe, and, and we're, we're kind of getting out of time, unfortunately. I mean, I would love to just extend, you know, but I have to respect your time also. So yeah, the third R, maybe the, what's that one? Okay, so we have the relationships, you have the roles in decision-making, and the third R is the rewards. Dominantly, mm -hmm. the financial rewards, how are we going to be able to go? And just like we had allocating the roles and decision-making within the team, how are you going to be able to go and allocate the rewards? There's some intangible rewards that are key, but also the financial rewards, the tangible ones, how are we going to go and allocate that? And a lot of times, the most important of those, and this is what the research shows also very much, is a make or break for a lot of founding teams is the discussion around ownership that you were referring to before. Mm -hmm. The way in which we're going to be able to go and allocate uh, the, the ownership within the team. A lot of times those Achilles heels that we talked about before get in the way of being able to go and do it well. The avoidance of the difficult conversation. Uh, the, this conversation is one that every founder is, is not looking forward to going and having. 
is very much going and trying to avoid that elephant in the room, is trying to go and not be able to uh, tackle this in a very substantive, deep way. And that means that they're going to go and punt on it, that they're going to go and try to satisfy us with something that they think is an okay solution. The most common of those is often the 50-50 split, the one over N rule that people try to go and do. And what a bunch of the research has shown is that the quick and easy handshake comes back to bite you. The way in which you don't go and discuss it, the way in which you just go and say the best we can go and guess at right now is the one over N rule, a third, a third, a third, if there are three of us, one over two, if it's, a, if it's ha two of us and we're just going 50-50, that that happens to be the most ill-fated in terms of the team, mm. its stability, its ability to even raise money later on. You get a major uh, discount mm. if you go and do the, the quick and easy handshake. Um, there's all sorts of ways in which it's also a signal that this team can't deal with the elephants in the room well together. If you can't even go and negotiate together over this, how well are you gonna be able to go and negotiate your first critical customer contract? How well are you gonna be able to go and negotiate with that investor who's gonna be coming on board to go and uh, be able to infuse money into your venture for a certain percentage of it in some control terms? It's very much an indication possibly of immaturity or a particular inability to go and deal with difficult conversations. Um, if you can't even go and do it with your co-founder for life, how are you going to be able to go and do it with people who are not going to be as aligned with you as you're going and trying to create those contracts and other agreements across the, the rest of the life cycle of the venture? And so that's the third of the R's in terms of the rewards. And it's a great echo and microcosm of those things that we were talking about with the 65% that fail because of the people, the tensions, the inability to deal with difficult uh, conversations, and also the rosy view of the world. Let's go and assume we're going right. to conquer the Nothing world. Nothing will go wrong. Exactly. Uh, we're all going to be fully committed to this venture. We're all going to be able to go and continue right. scaling with it well and the role that we went right. and picked out and things like that. And so you're not going and looking at, well, what happens if one of us actually has to drop out? What if one of us is not going and scaling? That's going to have fundamental implications for if that equity split is going to be a positive force within the company or whether it's going to go and heighten the tensions. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about a scenario of, two people going in 50, 50, let's say, and one of them is just not pulling their weight, you know, and then, you know, but now they're, they're stuck and they're kind of doing a, some other job full time, barely giving enough attention to it. And, uh, and yet now they're stuck with the situation. I mean, you're going to buy them out. Like, what are you going to like, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to renegotiate. Uh, so maybe just like really, really fast. What, uh, what's like the main tool that people use to, uh, I guess, to, to, uh, to, to make a better decision or to, to, to deal with the issue and, and, make, and make the equity situation with their partners, partner or partners in a way that's gonna be more effective and less likely to lead to a catastrophic result. Well, and several things that uh, those are pretty actionable things that I've seen founder after founder out to go and benefit from, but it all goes and is countering those deep biases that we have to go and force ourselves to get past it. Right. One of them to is the to discussion. go, uh, well, so the difficult discussions, one of them, but even before that, um, go and force yourself to think about the risks that you face. Go and you force yourself to come up with at least five major risks that you're going to be going and facing. And those are usually going to have some implications for the team. It's usually going to be, if you have a risk that maybe we're not hitting the market, well, we might have to go and pivot in a way that's going to make one of us obsolete. It's going to make mm -hmm. our skills, uh, the person who was our B2C wizard, well, it might be that the risk is that we're actually going to have to pivot to B2B. Now that person who was the critical person within the company now is holding a big chunk of equity, and now mm -hmm. it actually turns out that they're not the key player within the company. And so right. force yourself to come up with some risks 
that also sometimes leads to a bunch of difficult conversations. If the risk is that your good friend who is the B2C person or the B2B person is in this pivot going to become obsolete, well, that might be a difficult conversation to go and put on that person. Or if some of it might be around the commitment side, uh, we know that you are going to become a, uh, a new father uh, when we are founding, you know, and we're not sure that you are going to be willing to go and make the same sacrifices in terms of the amount of time, in terms of the other things like that, very deservedly that you should be going and focusing on your family instead. Well, going and having that conversation with your best friend is going to be something that's going to be very sensitive to be able right. to go and see that up. Or even if you're single still, we know you really like your day job. Are you sure you're really going to come on board and quit your day job to come and be able to be part of this company? Or things along those lines that are very right. sensitive. Revenue things. takes us lower than we're hoping, you know, to, to grow. And, you know, what, what are you going to do? What would you do? Exactly. If you have all sorts of financial commitments and we're going to have to scale back our paychecks because right. the revenue isn't where it is, or there's going to be a delay in our raising that round of financing that we all very confidently are assuming is going to be right there. Well, one of us might have to go and step back for the venture. Who's going to be that person? Or uh, if we're going to have to go and scale back in terms of the, the, the salary, who is going to be the one who's going to be most affected by that and is going to be resisting it? Uh, so a bunch of those things that are going to be going, if you can go and force yourself to think about the risk, it's going to tee up a lot of those difficult conversations. But doing it well is what's going to set you up to being able to go together and being able to go and deal with the unexpected and the ways it's going to be the bumps in the road, uh, where you're going to be able to go and hopefully make it into a Gamzla Tova because you've gone and built those missiles earlier in the small way before the real challenges are going to be coming later on down the road. Right. No, I appreciate it. And, and look, that's obviously, you know, a lot of people are, who are listening to this are going to be in businesses where they've been around a while and it's not, you know, they're not like brand new startups, but they may have partners and they, you know, may still be dealing with this issue at one extent or another. And you know, the sooner people can deal, can, people can deal with these tough questions. I mean, it's, but, you know, I, I get what you're saying in general that, dealing with tough questions and dealing with tough issues, it's, it's indicative of a, of a much deeper skill that makes a difference between success and failure. Uh, you know, not, not only because of the outside things, fundraising, let's say later on or whatever, but it just in so many ways can, can just bubble up and, and make things untenable if you don't have, if you don't have the ability to deal with the tough things. Yeah. No, and unfortunately when it comes to the people issues, it's particularly hard to go and hit the undo key. A lot of other decisions that we make where you can go and reverse them, you can go and be right. able to adjust and things like that. It just like costs that. money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can go and raise the resources. When it comes to setting an expectation with someone that they're going to be an equal partner, and now go and hit the undo key, reset that social expectation, or several of the other things that we've right. talked about. Where it's going just poisoned. And, yeah, exactly. And when you go, how easy is it going to be for you to recover from a loss of trust? That's going to be really hard to go and hit the undo key on that piece of it. And so all of these things are where it's far better. This goes back to my engineering background. When I started off in the world, I was an engineer. It's far easier wow. to go and design the system well with foresight to begin with than to take a flawed system and try to undo some of those flaws. And so that's where having the foresight about the road ahead, the foresight about your own biases. If you can go and be able to get a lot more of that knowledge of what is coming up, where the difficult forks in the road I'm going to face, where the trade-offs that I'm denying that I'm going to be going and facing, and then you can go and do a lot of more of that planning early on, be able to go and take that into account. That's where it's going to be much better for the team and for you. Right. 
I appreciate it. And I definitely appreciate all of your time today and everything that you've shared with us, Dr. Wasserman. And yeah, I just appreciate you coming on. We got the Founders Dilemmas uh, link in the uh, description and the social media. And uh, really just really appreciate you coming on and, and, and joining us and everything you shared today and you know, how to deal with how to deal with these tough situations and you know, all the importance of just forcing yourself to deal with it and, and building that muscle, giving, getting in that habit. So thank you. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking, Ben. Thank you for the great questions and uh, uh, best of luck with all of your, uh, your variety of projects that you're working on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, everybody else will see you on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.